everyone and welcome to the latest Going Up, Going Down podcast here for you today. After last week going through the championship team of the season, we are going to go through our League One and League Two teams of the season as published by The Athletic. We also have a very special guest on our EFL Rewind where we'll be talking about a time where a manager from Forest Green was hired by an Italian owner at a giant club in the EFL. My name is George Ellick and I'm on the line with the David Gold to my David Sullivan, Ali Maxwell. <laughs> but I, I'm not sure about that. I'm really not sure about this. It's, it's great to be on the pod with you again this week, George. I cannot wait for your EFL Rewind later. Just a reminder that uh, this pod and all the athletic podcasts are available for free on all podcast platforms, but also available ad-free on the athletic site. There's so much good stuff on the site at the moment, not least the two pieces that we're going to be getting our teeth into shortly. But if you would like to give The Athletic a go today, sign up using the code theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod and you'll get a 90 day free trial. Good place to start this week. I think George will be with our League One and League Two teams of the year. We've written those up for The Athletic. They've gone out this week, just like the championship one last week, which we discussed on this very podcast. Starting with League One, I'll, I'll run through the team and then I'll ask you some of the more deep and meaningful questions behind it. Uh, in, in goal, it is Daniel Everson of Rotherham on loan from Leicester. Uh, the back four, we're playing 4-2-3-1 in all of our teams of the season. Uh, Luco 9 of Sunderland, Michael Ihikwe of Rotherham, Michael Rose of Coventry, Joe Jacobson of Wickham Wanderers. Uh, in midfield, Liam Walsh alongside Dan Barlasser. And then the three behind the front man, James Henry of Oxford, Chris Maguire of Sunderland and Ronan Curtis of Pompey of Portsmouth. And up front, of course, Ivan Tony. Uh, it, was a, it was a really interesting uh, process putting this team together not a not an easy one either George what what do you think uh, out of all of the players in League One was the hardest position to nail down I'd probably say the centre-backs purely because there are there are just so many having good seasons um, I think with what we've noticed probably with League One and League Two unlike the championship is that everyone has an opinion on the championship people reading through the championship teams of the season that we did last week will have an opinion on those players whereas in League One and League Two it's the majority know a lot about their players and not too much about the other ones, which means that we're getting a little bit more feedback suggesting that we uh, it's scandalous we've missed certain players out. And I think at centre-back, there's a fair case for that as well because you know I've included Ahikwe, who has been a rock at the back for Rotherham this season. Uh, he was awarded with a new contract by Paul Warren back, I think, in November. And Warren has said he had had a near-perfect season so far. And I think that run of form that took them from kind of mid-table up to the top of the top of the table was in part down to him. And as I say in the piece, he kind of epitomises what this Rotherham team are all about. He's a bit of a throwback. He's not in any way really a, a modern-day ball-playing centre-back, but he's decent with the ball on the floor. He's very good in his duels, both at both ends of the pitch in the air and with the ball at his feet, and he's been a great player for them. Uh, with Coventry, again, as I say in the piece, it could have been any of the three. Carl uh, McFadden has been the kind of experienced, uh, older statesman in that back three. But with, with Dominic Hyam and Michael Rose alongside, they've got three defenders who've been right at the top of their game and, and, and Coventry have conceded the fewest goals this season with 30. And any of those three could easily have been uh, in this side. Uh, a telling stat as well, they've only lost three games this season and each one of those players has missed one of them. 
But I think the difference with Rose is just the speed of his development coming down from Scotland in the summer. I don't think anybody would have expected him to be as good as he has been. And the, the way that he plays on the right-hand side of that three, so happy bringing the ball out of defence, playing for a side who have so many technical midfielders as well. He often drops into that kind of technical uh, basis of the team and he's been so impressive in doing so. And it just feels like of those three, he's the one who we could be talking about in a couple of years, really going further in his career. But the reason it was difficult is because I mentioned the three uh, Coventry centre-backs. Looking down the table, Oxford have, of course, got Rob Dickey, who I think many Oxford fans would expect to be in there. Even John Massinho, I think some Oxford fans will tell you, has probably been as good as Dickey this season. Dickey, obviously, with a higher ceiling. At Portsmouth, you've got Christian Burgess and Sean Raggett, both of which have been brilliant. Harry Souter, at just 21, on loan from Stoke, has been a, a revelation for Fleetwood and a key part of their team as well. So you've got all these centre-backs playing for side at the top end of the table who individually have been really, really good. But it just felt to me like without a Ahikway, Rotherham would not be where they are. And in rows, we're seeing a player, I guess similarly to Dickey, we're seeing a player who's on his way up in his career. And I think the surprise that he's caused in being this good has been crucial for his selection. There are times when putting the teams together, that's before even writing the piece, where it feels quite punishing. And, and that's often a case when you have a position where, like centre-back maybe, there's so little between players. Everyone is is worthy, I guess. Uh, but you do have to pick that one name. Now, it, it felt to me, George, especially uh, from the reaction that we got, that right-back was something of, a, um, uh, something of a question mark for a lot of the people that read the piece. We went with Luke 09. A lot of people putting forward Fankati Darbo, the right-wing-back of, of Coventry, and Louis Coyle as well of Fleetwood. I know someone that you really... Uh, and about before before we, we sort of nailed down 09 here? Yeah, I nearly changed it with Coyle um, ahead of Darbo. I think with, with Darbo, it doesn't necessarily help that uh, I've seen him twice this season. The first was against Oxford and he scored two own goals in a three-all draw. The second was uh, against Fleetwood and, and he didn't particularly impress that day either. Uh, he's clearly, I mean, obviously I've seen enough of him this season not live to know how good he has been, but it just feels like he is one part of a you know, of, of a Coventry machine where they wouldn't necessarily be much worse off without him as impressive as he's been. But with Coyle, I think it, it's a different argument where Anno 9, where they're so important to the way that, that their sides play. Um, Coyle's energy up the right-hand side has been essential to Fleetwood and his productivity in the final third, producing for the likes of Chad Evans and Paddy Madden is so important as well. He's not just, you know, a flying right-back who can get up and down the line. He's got that creativity and that final ball at the end of it to, to match but the same can be said of 09 and that's why I've selected him it's not uh, I liked how someone said that I'd shoe, shoehorned him into the team here uh, as if he was a because he played in, in centre midfield for Wickham two years ago he, he should be playing right back but he's you know he's developed into a right back as it is maybe his future uh, if it's up to him won't be there but he plays 90% of his games at, at right back or right wing back for Sunderland and it's his energy and it's his, you know, he's such a goal threat. I think he's only got two or three this season. But even so, whenever you see them, he's always popping up at the back post, whether that's for Seske back across goal or for having goes himself. He's technically very gifted. And as I mentioned in the piece, I think that the important thing about 09 is he is, you know, he's a symbol of the new Sunderland. He is by far, he's the antithesis of everything that Sunderland has become. You know, the, the players that came through the Stadium of Light in that demise from the, from the Premier League down to League One, uh, Didier and Dong, Jeremy Long, like these these high-profile, big-money signings who who never did it on the pitch, never matched the passion of the Sunderland fans in the stands. And 09 is completely the opposite. He is coming up in the game. He's 25 years old. They, they brought him in from a, a, a club below them 
in the pyramid as well in Wickham at the time. And, uh, and he's got that enthusiasm, that energy and a technical ability that Sunderland need to base their, I mean, it's players like 09 who are going to get Sunderland up this season uh, or next season or whenever they do go up. And he's been so important to that. One of the sort of themes that, that went alongside the team itself and something that we discussed at length as we were putting it together is uh, the, the nod to the England national team. And I think we, we wanted to put this in because at, at first, I think we're both aware that it seems like almost like a sort of clickbait type thing to say, well, here are the League One players that will play for England. And obviously that's not what we're about. It's not what the athletics are all about. But actually, when you start picking at the thread, you know, you realise that I think 10 of the most recent England squad had played in League One at different points in their career and obviously for, for different lengths of time. And it's not just the goalkeepers, Pickford and, and Tom Heaton and Nick Pope. It is often the goalkeepers that, that really work their way up and get a lot of game time in the in the lower leagues. But also, of course, some of the most technical players in the squad. James Madison stands out. Oxlade Chamberlain starting his career in League One. Maguire played a lot of games at League One and Championship level. And Harry Kane, of course, had all of those loans as well before he broke into the top. Team, So it, it quite quickly became something that, that wasn't particularly far-fetched, even though it's difficult to um, to have the vision, I suppose, of, of, of how it will happen and which of these players are sort of best placed. Having said that, at the end of the piece, at the top of the pitch, it had to be Ivan Toney. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that that we've rather fallen in love with him over the last few months. Uh, and, and certainly in terms of, of, of any potential for an England appearance amongst this squad. That that seemed to be the most obvious name. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's worth pointing out as well that often these players are kind of stopping by whilst on loan. And there are three loanees here in Daniel Everson, uh, Dan Barlasser and, uh, and Liam Walsh. And it would be no surprise to see any of them having brilliant careers further up because immediately come the end of this season, they're already going to be uh, at a higher level than League One. But in Tony, we have someone who's already made that move. You know, he came through at Northampton. He, he got signed by Newcastle at a terrible time where they were about to be relegated from the Premier League. Rafa Benitez was going to be hired and he was never likely to invest his uh, goal-scoring faith in, in a teenager who was still very raw and, and a lot of loans followed. But now, I mean, this is the first time that Ivan Tony has played consecutive seasons for the same team since his Northampton days. And he has developed very, very quickly from last season where he was a, a very good League One striker. He is now a player who basically dominates every match that he plays in. And Peterborough have had an OK season. Uh, other players at times getting plaudits, rightly. Moisa and Marcus Madison early in the season. Now, Sammy Smodix and Siriki Dembele. But, but Tony is the constant and Tony is the best. Uh, there, there's no denying his goal-scoring record with 24 goals and 32 appearances. Uh, it said a lot that he, you know, they won, I think, six games in a row. And then he was banned for two for, for get, picking up 10 bookings in which they, they lost one and drew one. And then he came back and they beat Pompey 2-0 in the last game that we saw. He is just a, a, a cut above. And the way that he plays, you know, it, it's not just his talent, but it's his strength. It's his ability in the air. It's his finishing ability. It's his running of the channels. You know, he's, he's a striker who plays down those channels so well. I mean, he'd be an absolute dream to play alongside if you were playing either either a two or a three, because even if he's in the middle of a three, as we're seeing at the moment, he's still running into those channels and making space for, for those players to come inside as well. Um, I, I, I compared him to, to Deli Ali and Ricky Lambert and Jordan Rhodes in the piece. And that, that's not because he's necessarily stylistically. It's just because those are three of the, the plenty of players who 
at a certain snapshot of time have been playing League One football when it's just clear for everybody to see that they're much better. Uh, whether he plays for England is another thing. He's you know he's 25 years old, so he's got a lot of time to to um, to get there. It, the next move is going to be very important. And Darren McAntony, the, the Peterborough owner, knows what a good player he's got, and he's not going to let him go for cheap. So I'm pretty sure that whoever does buy him is going to be the kind of club who can. You know, transform his career from being a League One footballer to somebody who, if he scores enough goals, will, will feature in that in those conversations. Well, and of course, he'll be motivated as well. That there aren't tons and tons of Premier League strikers who have come up through League One, but Danny Ings played there early in his career. Calvert Lewin, of course, uh, and and Callum Wilson, I suppose, is probably the poster boy with an England cap as well. Now, for someone like Tony, so that will be really interesting to follow over the next few years. Uh, let's move down to League Two now. Why don't you talk me through our starting eleven, and then I'll do the rest. Yeah, so in goal we have Glenn Morris of Crawley Town. Uh, right back, of course, it is Perry and G. Centre-backs Charlie Good and Ben Tozer. Uh, Left-back is George Cooper. Might be a couple of eyebrows raised there about the position, but we'll get onto it, I'm sure. Ryan Wintle and Anthony Grant in centre of midfield. Randall Williams uh, on the right-hand side of Exeter. Ryan Broom of Cheltenham in that kind of number 10 role. Charlie Kirk on the left-hand side of Crew. And who else could it be up top? But of course, Swindon's, then Bradford's, now Swindon's, Owen Doyle. So as with the League One team plenty of options in most positions we, we got there in the end what did you think was the was the hardest part or the hardest positions in in our league two team of the season so far well I think it, it was it was natural when looking at which teams are dominating the league that we've actually as discussed on this pod before got a, a big five in league two this season uh, the team in fifth Cheltenham actually have a better points per game record than the team who came third and were automatically promoted last season in Berry. So you can see that we've got a, a really strong group of five teams. And I think one of the things that's lifted them, that's helped them pick up uh, the results to this extent, is because there have been a great, great group of really poor teams as well. Uh, I, I'm afraid to say in League Two this season, whether it was the sort of lack of the motivational fear factor of relegation with only one relegation spot with Stevenage almost historically bad at the bottom of the league Macclesfield going through problems off the pitch that sort of puts them down there as well but that doesn't mean that the teams in mid-table are, are, are good teams I think there's a, a, a big swathe of teams here that have just sort of coasted along this season that have not been hugely consistent or particularly impressive and then it's quite hard for individual players in those sorts of teams to stand out so it's certainly a team dominated by that big five that's Crewe, Swindon, Plymouth, Exeter and Cheltenham and I suppose within that it was quite difficult to actually whittle down amongst that group of five teams to, to find the sort of top contributors and to work out who even amongst those individual teams was most worthy of being in the actual team of the season especially when there are certain positions with with uh, you know a big pool of of talent and high performers. I, I think uh, another thing is we've we know that in League Two this season, the tactical trend has been teams playing 3-5-2 or similar three at the back system. So there's a big pool of centre-backs. There's a lot of wing-backs and you have to decide in some cases whether it's fine just to put them at left-back. So we'll come on to George Cooper. He plays left wing-back for Plymouth. Previously, he's always been known as a creative midfield player, a number 10 or a winger. And so it doesn't feel quite right to put him at full-back or at least it, it was something that I had to debate a lot. But when I thought about the fact that other eligible players like um, 
Ibo Torre of Salford and Chris Hussey of, of Cheltenham as well. These guys are the left wing backs in those formations. It wouldn't feel strange putting them at left back in this team. So quickly I had to get over that existential crisis that we were having um, and we've got Cooper in uh, at left back. So uh, I think there were lots of questions in there and as I say, dominated by uh, the big five teams, but not entirely containing players from those teams. Yeah, we've got a couple in there who aren't represented by the top five. We've got Charlie Good of, of, North, of Northampton at centre-back. And then a line that I loved that you wrote about Glenn Morris, the Crawley townkeeper, where you said, in a division where you're often left wondering, could the keeper have done better? Morris more regularly makes you ask, how has he saved that? I mean, what was it about these two, in your opinion, that kind of set them apart from, from the other best of the rest? Yeah, I think over the last few months, I've been thinking a lot about about the judgment of goalkeepers and trying to rank goalkeepers. And it's difficult in all three. It sounds three... like a great lockdown in, in, in a Maxwell household. Yeah, that's the sort of <laughs> thing I like to do to spend my time. And at all three levels of the EFL, it, it can be difficult. Um, I, I didn't want to put down League Two goalkeepers with that line there, but I think anyone who, who regularly watches League Two highlights, uh, especially in the order where it goes Championship, League One, League Two, you do start to notice that there are goals where the goalkeeper's positioning might be a little bit iffy or whether he could have got a stronger hand to it. And, and that's kind of the nature of, of goalkeeping at this level. And that's where I think Morris really bucks the trend. Um, he is just a... a, a a fabulous shot stopper and I can't remember many times where a goal has gone in that Crawley have conceded and Morris is at fault and um, one of the things that almost elevated him in my mind is that Crawley are a really poor defensive team uh, they face the most shots on target in the whole league so he doesn't have a huge amount of protection in front of him but I thought it, it said a lot about Morris's shot stopping that even though they faced the most shots on target, 10 teams have conceded more goals than them. So um, it was great to have Morris in the side because he's been actually thriving for, for a good few years, 36 years old, made his senior debut 18 and a half years ago. And I think at these at these levels, uh, often you're, you're looking for the young players who might play higher up. But every now and again, like with Ben Toza at centre-back in this team, the, the Cheltenham stalwart, you have to just give credit to the guys who have been there, who have done it, experienced at this level and still performing at a very high level and every team needs players like that. With Charlie Good, it, it was pretty straightforward. He's just so dominant. Uh, you see it when you watch this Northampton side. He's the one that's coming and, and winning all the aerial duels, but even statistically, and, and you have to use stats and data uh, when you're putting together a team of the season because it's impossible to watch every minute of every League Two game. And Good is just constantly at the top of all the defensive metrics that you could possibly want to see. So I think uh, it all sort of stacked up with Good. There are so many good centre-backs uh, in those top five teams, but I think Tozer of Cheltenham stood out as being so important to them as the best defensive team in the EFL. And then Good stood out statistically uh, and visually as the most sort of dominant defender in terms of pure the pure art of defending uh, in this league. Anyone who's listened to our various podcasts over the past season will know that you've got something of a soft spot for a Forest Green Rover centre midfielder. And scrolling through this, they'd have been shocked to see Ryan Wintle and Anthony Grant in centre midfield. And no mention of Ebu Adams. Oh, wait, there's an asterisk there as well. Adams must have been, a, a, you know, was a pretty hard one to leave out. Uh, anyone else that you, you kind of feel deserved but didn't get a, an honourable mention? 
I was pushing it slightly because y- y- you can drive yourself mad writing all of the sort of highly commended and, oh, here's who could have been in this. And, and actually, it almost takes away from the team you end up selecting. But I couldn't leave out Adams here. I mean, he just does it all. I'd, I cannot wait to see him in a really good side. And and I think Forest Green's inconsistency and their, their really stark drop off from sort of November onwards, it didn't help him here. But I'm just fascinated by a player who plays in the centre of the park, a sort of box to box player who's been fouled 58 times more than any other player in the league. Like, when, when you see that sort of stat, it's normally attached to Eden Hazard or Jack Grealish in whichever league they're playing. Here you've got a centre-mid in League Two, and no one can tackle him cleanly. I just find it fascinating. And I think, you know, ball-carrying through the centre of the park is such a, an important skill. So he always stands out. But I felt bad he wasn't in the team. I felt very bad for Worrell of Port Vale. Um, you know, this is not a guy that gets a lot of headlines, but if you look into the underlying numbers, you'll see that this is a, a, a wide man who not only works hard for his team, um, but is also more or less their only creative player and performs very well in that role. Um, he's feeding largely wayward strikers, uh, the likes of Bennett and Pope, who don't put away chances at a great lick. Um, but but Worrell definitely deserves a mention on the pod, if not in the piece, for being just not quite up to the level of Kirk and uh, of Randall Williams, who have really racked up the assists as well. Finally, before we move on to a rewind back to 2014, you quite enjoyed watching a Cheltenham creator in that number 10 role in doing your research for this piece. Yeah, sort of, I, I suppose the most fun part of of these pieces are when you have your shortlist and you start to watch a bit more video uh, depending on the player it kind of depends on on what sort of things you're looking at but using Scout, I wanted to to sift through a few things and and looking at Ryan Broom of Cheltenham it gave me a greater appreciation for him I think I mean clearly Cheltenham's strength is their defensive capability the best defensive record in the EFL but they wouldn't be up there if they were useless going forward and the reason why they are good going forward is mostly down to Broom for me. He plays in a, in a midfield role. It's, not, it's kind of an advanced eight more than a number 10, but he is chief creator. And I think because they're so well structured in defence, what you see is that they're actually a very strong team in transition on the counter-attack and Broom certainly drives them forward. He's got eight goals, so it, you know he's shown good feet, good finishing ability from the edge of the box and arriving late onto cutbacks. But his assists and, and the chances that he creates, they're just fantastic and very varied as well. He's very comfortable drifting out wide and delivering pinpoint crosses. But in transition, I just love someone who can thread a through ball. And ever since they signed Alfie May in January, who's got the pace to run in behind, a Cheltenham counterattack has taken on a whole new meaning with Broom slipping through balls for Alfie May. So I'd say the most enjoyable bit of video research in that it wasn't necessarily something I was expecting to see like a Charlie Kirk dribble or a Randall Williams cross Uh, it was Ryan Broom in transition for Cheltenham and he takes the central attacking midfield spot in this team so there you have it our league one and league two teams of the season if you haven't read the pieces please do so they are over on the athletic now league one went out yesterday league two this morning and please do comment as well Ali and I are replying to some of the comments down there when we think we have a point to prove. Please don't just tell us that you're a centre midfielder. It's a scandal they're not there because we have, you know, only 11 players can be selected. And if you haven't signed up to The Athletic, but you'd like to check out the reasoning behind each individual player, you can head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod, EFL P-O-D. And actually, currently, the offer is a 90-day free trial. So get three months free uh, of the athletic content. You can give it a good old go there if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod. 
So delighted to be joined by Millwall striker Matt Smith. And, and, and Matt, normally we'd like to talk to you about what's going on at Millwall, but with no football going on, there's only so many times you can ask uh, current pros what they're up to during lockdown. We're going <laughs> to look backwards at, a, at another time in your career, at a time at Leeds United uh, and specifically the reign of, of Dave Hockaday. But before we talk about his arrival, because you know we can't, discuss this era of Leeds history without looking at, at Cellino's reign as a whole. So what was it like when he came into the club during the 13-14 the season and all these rumours about Brian McDermott's future, whether he had been sacked, then he hadn't been sacked. Just just as a player, was it pretty surreal to be involved with the club at that time? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when he first arrived, we didn't really have a, a clue about it, sort of his background or, you know, um, you know, and obviously had no idea what what was going to entail in terms of the future. So, I mean, at the time we were, we were flying high in the championship. I think we were fifth going into sort of that FA Cup third round game. I think we played Rochdale away and we lost 2-0, which was, we had just had a really, really bad day at the office. And then I think just really off the back of that, the wheels just totally fell off. And um, I think it's, um, you know, obviously there was a lot of away from the pitch. It, it became very, very unsettled. Obviously, I think the, the owner had a, a few quite sort of wacky things in his mind that he wanted to, <laughs> to bring to the club and things that he believed in, you know, removal of a lot of the staff at the training ground. I think he sacked the chef within, you know, a matter of weeks. So we went from sort of having two meals a day to bringing in our own packed lunch. So it, it kind of, it, it went down a real different route. And then obviously I think the sour taste really was the way obviously Brian and Nigel Gibbs were, would, would trap because, you know, they're two really, really, to two of the you know real good guys in football and the, and they were treated really really poorly um, and then obviously you know it went very public you know Brian got sacked and then reinstated and you know for for a team that was ultimately fifth at the time to, to have your manager sacked it was everyone was a bit like what on earth is going on here? Um, How much did that, it, did that did that have to to do with the the turnaround of form? Do you think the, the kind of off pitch? Oh, I think I, I mean listen like ultimately we're the ones across the white line and we can control what we do on the pitch but like you say when you, you you're unsettled off it you know it's going to bring bring that bit of instability on it so our results went from really consistent to really inconsistent and we and we really dropped down the league which was which is a shame because I thought we had a really strong squad we obviously had you know players that were banging form that season performing really really well um and then like I say, it just it just was a real season of two halves, and obviously you can't put like I say all the blame on on sort of the the off the field stuff, but it definitely had a, a huge huge bearing on on what followed. Definitely. What was the reaction of the the players, the squad, the staff when Dave Hockaday took over? I mean, no disrespect to Dave, but he had just been let go from a conference side in Forest Green. Not many people knew necessarily who he was. And this, after all, is Leeds United. What did you all make of it? Yeah, I mean, when obviously when um, when when he came in, without being disrespectful to him, obviously we, not many of the lads knew sort of of him or, or um, David's background. But um, listen, he, he obviously, and it was kind of like a, a bit we weren't sure quite how the, the bookies odds are working at the, at the time because it, it came as sort of a bit of a wild card into the equation. Um, but listen, he, he came into the preseason 
and he was he was great with us. He was you know really nice, humble man. He brought in Junior Lewis, who obviously had a lot of um, league experience with Leicester um, and other teams. You know, there were there were two really nice guys. And listen, for that pre-season period we worked with him, they worked us really really hard. Um, I think a lot of the lads will be the first to tell you it's probably one of the harder pre-seasons we've we've done. Um, you obviously went off to Italy for for a two-week block. Um, we played plenty of games over. So no, like listen, it, it, obviously he came in as a bit of an unknown, but he, you know, he was made very welcome by what was a really senior group of lads at the time. And he ultimately, what we could say was, yeah, he was a really nice man, and he, and he, he worked us really hard. He was a good coach. Let's talk. You mentioned the trip to Italy, and you know this is EFL Rewind. We tell funny stories from the past, or interesting stories from the past of the EFL, and just doing a bit of reading into this. Italian preseason trip is certainly fits into that. Um, you beat FC Gerdine, I think he is how you say it, the local side 16 nil. Matt, you managed to get six of those 16. You were then meant to be playing against Romanian side FC Vitorul Constanta. They don't, they don't even turn up, so you have to play an, an intra squad friendly, uh, which Leeds beat Leeds 3 1. There's also an unbelievable photo that I found doing my research of Dominic Polion just sitting in a lake wearing his training kit, looking <laughs> very miserable. What yeah. was going on on this trip? I mean, what were you all thinking as this was all taking place? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. It was, it was actually minus the two games, the one game that obviously was yeah a bit of a bit of a laugh in terms of the, the amateur side we beat 16-0 and obviously then the second team didn't show up. So we had to play against each other, which was a bit bizarre. So other than that, the actual trip itself, I thought, was was a success. Um, like It was really, really tough for a start. He had us doing three sessions a day. So we were up at seven in the morning. We did a tactical session, and then we did a physical football session. We came back, we had breakfast, and we'd have our tactical physical session um, with the balls out at like 10. And then we went back again. We after lunch we had a nap, and then we went back again out at like four or five, and we just did a running session. And after every session, well, after the football and the running session, we, yeah, he'd have us in the the lake just next to the training ground, or was it a stream or a river, which was absolutely Baltic, um, which was our ice bath. Which, which, so we did that for ten days on the spin, and it's probably probably the hardest preseason camp I've ever done in that sense. Um, it was really really physical, and obviously like. When you have a preseason camp, you obviously expect to play a couple of teams. That was obviously the 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 bit that was a bit of a, a laugh. We were a bit, a bit of a laughing stock, really, in the sense that yeah, like the one team showed up, and no disrespect to whoever this amateur <laughs> team was, but they weren't the best. And then um, and like I say, the, the other team decided no, but didn't show up for whatever reason. So uh, we actually play eleven v eleven against ourselves with you know and credit to obviously the Leeds fans they actually turned up in numbers to a remote part of northern Italy <laughs> so I did feel for them obviously coming one to watch a 16-0 riot and then two to watch us play against ourselves and ultimately what which was a training game so I did feel for the fans to be fair because they, they actually showed up in in numbers but um it's uh you know listen like as far as the trip went it was I mean it, it wasn't the most exciting of trips but in terms of like an actual pre-season camp it was actually a, a pretty successful one minus the games I thought but from a pure get your fitness under the belt perspective 
Uh, Matt, you mentioned that there were a few changes, uh, maybe in terms of staff personnel when Chilino first came in. Uh, he was more keen to bring players in than, than than let them go. I think it's fair to say, and, and that summer was a a pretty lively summer of recruitment for the club uh, and a, a different approach taken to to many teams. Uh, a lot of maybe unknown quantities in terms of English football and and the second tier. Um, yeah. The likes of Marco Silvestri, Tommaso Bianchi, of course, Gaetano Berardi still at the club, uh, a big part of the club. Uh, Mirko Antonucci, who I remember scoring one absolutely wonderful goal, but maybe maybe didn't spend that much time performing at a high level. Um, Beluski and Kasper Sloth and Dukara. There's a lo- lot of names a that lot, came yeah. through the door this summer. It was, uh, yeah. it, was that was that sort of throughout the summer that must have been something of a, a theme new new faces arriving uh maybe maybe slightly unsettling yeah i mean listen there was a big overhaul that summer which which happens i suppose obviously was a real theme in in the sense of the recruitment was predominantly from from italy which you know can happen if, if the owner and the recruitment team are come from that from that area but um listen there was quality that you know a lot of them players were, were decent players and you know proved to be Good acquisitions, you know, some less so, but that, that's the nature of the game. Um, yeah, it became a little bit more clicky, should I say, like, you know, in terms of the Italian lot and um, the Italian guys and, and maybe the English guys. But over the piece, there was no bad sort of camaraderie. But the camaraderie was good between the lads, do you know what I mean? You know, maybe it did, like you say, become a, a bit clicky, but, um, you know, on the whole, it was, it was all right. But yeah, I mean, there were huge wholesale changes from, you know, not over, a, you know, a playing perspective, but, you know, over the, the whole club in, in general, it had a, a huge, huge impact, really. It, it looked like being quite a good a good summer for you personally. Um, you know, we talk about the six goals you scored against the amateur <laughs> side, but also you were given the, the number nine shirt for the season. Bids, allegedly, uh, from Millwall were, were rejected as well. You, you signed a new contract with the club I mean was that did it feel I mean obviously Ross McCormack your strike partner from the season before who scored 29 odd goals a lot of which were set up by yourself had moved on but did you feel like that was almost going to be a big season for you at Leeds oh yeah massively I was really looking forward to it you know I think I'd had a a good um for it was my first obviously first season this championship I'd scored 13 14 goals I was really looking forward to the next season. Like I say, I'd only signed a two-year coming off the back of my time at Oldham. So I felt I was in a good position for a contract extension, which I thought was going to happen um, sooner than it ended up happening. Um, And it obviously didn't happen till the back end of that summer for for whatever reason. It just took time. Like you say, there was a lot lot of other things going on. Um, So yeah, I, I mean, Obviously, ended up signing three years. I was really, really excited. I got given the number nine shirt, like you say. I was, I was really excited going into that season. So, what ended up happening off the off the back of signing that contract, I literally wouldn't have imagined in my wildest of dreams. So, it, it just took a, a, a real bizarre turn, um, all very quickly. But listen, you know, crazy things happen in football. So, I'm sure it's not the not the first, not the last time something like that might happen. Do you know. Can you talk us through what what kind of for those who don't know what happened after signing the deal because it wasn't too much longer just a few days and and you were moving on. Yeah, it it was really bizarre. Like so, I'd signed obviously signed three years and very excited, and then I think pretty soon after, obviously the the owner let Dave Hockaday go, and it was 
the day that he got the day that he got sacked was the day I went into training and I think it was Steve Warnock had said to me have you seen the list and I was like what do you mean the list and he says oh there's there's a list of players that he wants to get rid of before the the end of the transfer window and you're on it and I, I thought he was I thought he was joking I was like you're joking I just signed a three-year contract like less than two weeks ago what, what on earth you want about I said mate I promise you I'm not joking go look at the list so obviously <laughs> it probably something I shouldn't have done but the um the manager had obviously left his office because he'd been sacked so I went up looked at the board that was in his office and sure enough there were six names on a list of which mine was very much on it so oh three lads that were sort of playing week in week out with me Steve and Sam Byram and then three of the other lads were played a lot less football um but yeah so I was literally went down I was like what on earth is going on here um very very confused and then um the I think it was the following morning I think Dave and the assistant had come in to say their goodbyes which obviously was, was nice and they you know fair play to them they, they're working under very difficult circumstances so you know a lot of respect for them they came in and said their goodbyes and it was junior lewis that said oh you know about fulham and i was like no i have literally no idea what's going on here and then sure enough the, the fulham interest arised very very quickly and obviously like i was straight on the phone to Ross McCormack. He was like, oh, let me check for you. I don't know, sort of thing. And then it just, it just all happened very, very quickly. Um, and then like you say, deadline day, I was, I was gone. So it, you know, nothing surprises you in football, I suppose, is the, is the, uh, the moral of the story. It, it seems remarkable that there are so many different parts to, to this EFL Rewind. And yet we're really only talking about a period of time that lasts about two to three months. Um, the last game that you played for Leeds, which I believe was also Dave Hockaday's last game, was a, a cup game at Bradford. Uh, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the, well, the sort of top level detail, t- detail here. Luke Murphy sent off 31st minute, uh, nil nil up until the 82nd minute when big Matt Smith puts Leeds ahead at Bradford. Uh, and then, well, four minutes later, Billy Knott and James Hansen have put them 2-1 up. W- when you're in, a position of such uncertainty off the pitch what what do those games feel like when it just feels like teams who are in that sort of situation are the sorts of teams that suffer bizarre moments like that going ahead and and being behind only five minutes later what are your memories of that game at Bradford oh it was a mad game obviously it's quite a fierce derby um so, you know, we were all very excited for it. And yeah, Murph, I don't know what was going through his head. He got two, I think he picked up two really quick yellows in, inside the first half, like quite early on, I think. And we we actually played pretty well, I remember that day. And um, like you say, we went one up with about nine minutes to go. And I thought, great, like brilliant win, like literally backs to the wall kind of stuff. Um, and then they popped up. I think Billy Knott scored a wonder goal. And then James Hansen, like you say, scored a header within, in the dire minute. So it was a bit of a sucker punch, really. I did feel for the manager because, like you say, when you go a man down for the majority of the game, it's always no matter who you're playing, it's going to be a tough, a tough, um, especially in a in a local derby. So I do I do have good memory of that game, to to be fair. And it was it like you say, it was um, it was uh, it was my last last for the club. So it's you know. That's what that's kind of my, my my parting note, which uh, which was unfortunate. 
and just a couple of days later, there was a list with your name on it, despite scoring that goal at Valley Parade. It's brilliant to talk to you, Matt. It's great. We love looking back at these stories in the EFL, but to speak to someone who was there for uh, for, for the, the reign of Dave Hockaday at Leeds has been absolutely fantastic. And fingers crossed we're, we're speaking to you or about you again, scoring goals for Millwall. Thanks a lot, and I appreciate that. Wonderful EFL Rewind, George, and you've changed the game by getting a guest on who was very much part of it. Thank you so much to, to Matt Smith for joining us there. I, I must say, although the story is Dave Hockaday's reign at Leeds, it, inevitably the story is, is not really about Hockaday. You end up feeling just hugely sympathetic towards him, whether he's after sympathy or not, I, I, I'm not sure. But um, what remarkable working conditions, both for Hockaday, for the players, uh, and for everyone really at Leeds at that time. But brilliant to hear about it. Thank you, George, for that. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's Going Up, Going Down. We've talked about our League One and League Two teams of the season. They're up on the Athletic site, along with tons of other excellent written content. And if you haven't subscribed, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic already, make sure you make full use of the current 90-day free trial being offered if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFLpod. That's a 90-day free trial, so you can really make sure that you uh, make the most of what The Athletic are offering at this time. As for us, we will be back again next week with the Going Up, Going Down podcast, and we look forward to joining you again then.